At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Highest host Adam Hill chilling out right here, Jorge's Dash Radio, sitting next to a fucking legend. I'm really honored to be sitting next to this man. I've been talking about him for almost a decade since I've been doing the podcast, and having him sit right next to me and actually spend the day with me today uh, was really humbling and excited. And before I get to this man, real quick, the man Eddie Lepp, who uh, is a pioneer in this industry. I know a lot of people, uh, uh, you know, will say things about me being an old man in this industry and doing what I do, but. Uh, the guy next to me has been doing shit before I was even thought of. Been, uh, we're going to get into all that. We're going to get into all that. But I want to thank everyone who is listening right now. We're tuned in wherever you're at in the world. I appreciate you. You could be doing anything you want with your time and you're here with us. So we're going to make the best out of it wherever you're at. If you're on uh, YouTube or iTunes or Spotify or Dash Radio or wherever, we appreciate you. And wherever you're listening, in the car or at home or in the grow or at the trim room or in the dispensary or at your mom's house or with your friends or in the garage at the sesh, wherever the fuck you at, I appreciate you tuning in. And I just want to get to, so before I get to you, Eddie Lepp, the legend in the building, I just want to talk about something because... Uh, you got to join me today at a little uh, event that I do every weekend. Uh, we like to call them the traditional market, a little traditional market. The black market's a little negative. Shout out to my boy David, but I learned the traditional market because that's what we started. And we were walking around and, you know, people don't really know history of cannabis. And I've t spoken about uh, a lot of great people that I looked up to when I started smoking weed and learning from. Uh, one of the guys' name is Jack Hare. Rest in peace. Jack Herrera was a great dude. He was a... Uh, a great activist. He educated me about the hemp plant. He taught me everything, how cannabis, how uh, hemp will save the planet. And a lot of people these days just think he's a strain. Don't even know it's a real person. Uh, this man next to me, legend, uh, grown thousands and thousands and thousands of plants, got caught with kilos, got his farm raided, been in the federal, been in federal, spent federal time because of the plant, because of what we got to do right now. And uh, a lot of people just didn't know who this guy is and, and the, the freedoms we have now is because of this guy's balls and, and the shit that he was doing before anyone even came, before any of these corporations even thought of the plant. They were, he was out here making it happen. So I just want to let anyone know who actually consumes weed and is into it just to learn the history and, and what we've been going and what we've gone through and, and all the time people have spent in jail. Cause there's been many pioneers in this uh, community that have believed in this plant and knew the benefits of it before uh, they taught it to us and before we got educated, before the internet, before any of this uh, social media shit. No one really knew about weed and the benefits or growing it or having it around or the medical benefits, but I believe there was a bunch of people out there that were trying to preach it, and the guy sitting right next to me, Eddie Lepp, was one of them, and I appreciate you for doing that and, and building this pathway for us to keep it, keep keep it alive, keep the education going on this plant because now with all this corporate money 
And with all this acceptance in the culture and society, they're understanding the benefits of cannabis and knowing that there's uh, many, many factors that this plant have that can help the world. And, and when did you discover this, Eddie? So I just want to say something before I get ask you that. Uh, just know who uh, have paved the way for you and who the history people are in our industry. You never know uh, who you'll talk to, or who you meet, or who, what they've done for whatever it is that you're into. But did you always believe the cannabis plant was a, a benefit, was beneficial, or did you just like getting high? Um, I, I love getting high, but I well, always... The, the thing is, is, uh, you know, I, I'm a child of the 60s. Oh, yeah. Uh, I grew up on Haight-Ashbury in, in San Francisco. Uh, I lived in Reno, but my best friend and I, uh, we would go down to the city every weekend uh, right after work, and we would stay uh, until we had to go back to work in, you know, <laughs> Winterland and, and, you know, all of the different shows that... Uh, all of the tremendous music and going to the park and you know just all of the things that we did as young young kids and uh, I started using cannabis uh, and I how old were you when you first started using cannabis oh gosh probably the first time probably 13 or 14 uh, I didn't start smoking it uh, on a regular basis uh, until I actually went in the army uh, Okay. Prior, prior to that, uh, it was just occasional. It was just something. Yeah, it was just occasional. I mean, I didn't really drink then. I didn't really smoke uh, uh, cannabis or anything. I was pretty straight-laced. You were just living. Where, where are you from originally? Uh, well, I was born in Illinois. Okay. In a little town called La Harp, uh, right on the Mississippi River in uh, Dallas City uh, is where a lot of my family's from. And when I was uh, very, very young, my dad was in the military. So we were in Texas for a little bit, Colorado for a little bit. So you're bit. moving a little bit. Yeah. Okay. But uh, by the time I was about five or six, seven years old, we moved to Reno. And uh, my family still The world's lived, biggest little city. The world's biggest little city. And uh, my family still lives there. All my sisters okay. and nieces and nephews, my whole family's Not all of them, but there's a lot of them in Reno. But... Uh, Many years ago, when I came back from Vietnam, uh, I moved to California, and uh, with the exception of one brief excursion back up to Reno for a couple years, I've lived in California. So I added it up. I, I looked at it, I don't know, a while back, but I've spent over half of my life in california i've been a resident of california so what so uh thank you again eddie for um joining me on the show i know oh, it's uh, an honor it's time an is honor. very valuable and you you know had to sacrifice almost a decade of your life because of this but i just wanted to know real i just want to get to know you know that's the history of eddie lep because i know everyone has a story like how were you so you grew up in reno how were you as a kid how, were you a good student Were you uh no i was a horrible student <laughs> uh unfortunately uh and I don't want to sound conceited or arrogant, but I'm very intelligent. I have a very high IQ, and school, frankly, bored me to death. Uh, I totally believe and they teach us shit we don't even. I don't even. We don't even yeah, use. It's I uh, I got in trouble in school one time. It was funny. I'll never forget it. I was in the sixth grade. And so you're like 12, yeah, 11, 11, 12, and I got in trouble because my teacher caught me reading a book during class that I wasn't supposed to be reading. You know, it was like math class, and I'm reading Ivanhoe. 
Okay. Okay, which is a classic that they use at college level for uh, various literature projects. Okay. okay? Right. And the, okay. she chewed me out for doing it. And then after class, she called me in. She said, stay after class. And that's when she told me, she says, Eddie, that book is something that college level people read, college students and do book reports and things. Right. Like. She says, I'm thrilled that you're reading it, but this was history class, you right. know? And that's the way school was for me. There was always something more interesting than what Look, I was, right. you know? So I didn't do real well at school. Uh, I got out, uh, I quit school. I went to Barber College. I barbered for a few years with my dad. Barber like cut hair? Yeah. Okay. Old school. Right. None, none with the, the blade? None of the styling bullshit. No, no. No, no blades. Clippers. Clippers. Clip, clip, clipper, okay. Clippers. Giving people fake high tops. Yeah. And uh, You still do that? You still, I never knew you. Oh, I certainly have the talent, okay. yes, but I, I don't do it. I want to uh, get my hair, I want to get fucking cleaned up and lined up by Eddie Lapp. I'm fucking crazy. The, the thing was, was... Uh, after Vietnam, I found it very, very hard to touch people. I found it very, very hard to okay. share that intimacy with with strangers, and so I quit cutting hair. But so, uh, so we took a big leap. So you, you told me a story about sixth grade. You were just always more interested in other things going on. Uh, you weren't really paying attention to school, which I I understand because I was in school. Didn't really care. I got some CBD joints for you right there if you want to. Um, oh, like that, I, by the way, too. I, I got to say this. Uh, you know, before I went in, there was like. Mexican dope, and there was like skunk butt, right? And that was it. You know? As far as weed goes, yeah. As far as weed goes yeah. for historically. Before you went into the military, well, no. Before I went into prison. Oh, we're gonna get to that. Okay. We're gonna get to the prison. But, I just want to build up because but, there was a lot of things you did. Well, yeah, and we'll get to, to get to that. But but what I wanted to point out was was before, you know, like fifteen years ago, uh, twenty years ago, there was really very little selection, right? And nobody knew a damn thing about isolates or or CBD or this CBN, or that. THCA, or, indoor, uh, outdoor, cocoa, yeah. fucking. All the crazy shit. Rock wool. But I got to tell you, my belief is, is that full spectrum is the only true answer to everything. Full spectrum, like the full plant. The full plant. Like full, everything. Full spectrum. No extracting no, stuff no, out of it. We need the no. whole plant. You need the whole plant. All compounds. But I was talking to my son on the way over here. I am so impressed with the CBDs because, see, I can't use cannabis right now because I'm still on federal probation. Oof. So. I'm sorry. Oh, that's okay. But I have to, to be very careful and limit myself to using CBD. And I've used it. Uh, I started using it due to my arthritis and using it in the sass. Like a topical? Yeah, on okay. my hands. And I found it just incredible. And in fact, my, my son carries a salve that I used this morning that worked better than any of them I've ever uh, used. Shout out to the son. Oh, yeah. He was telling me about some milk he was making back in the day, too. Oh, the yeah. The ganja milk. Oh, yeah. Man. What? Oh, yeah. We used to make ice cream. Uh, anyway. Uh, we'll get, yeah, we'll, so. But uh, I'm really impressed the with the, the CBDs. Nice. So, and what I told my kid was, I said, you know, if, if we got in a position where we could grow what we wanted, Daddy would grow a half an acre of, of full spectrum three or four, five, six, seven, eight, ten different strains because I like the variety. Yeah. 
and then I would grow a half an acre of a CBD right. with, you know, like Charlotte's Web and yeah. two, two or Certain three strains, yeah. Yeah, two or three of the real high end CBDs. And then I would take the whole acre and put it all together and turn it all into R, R, RSO. Right. Specifically. I mean, Rick Simpson oil to me is the the, the, the miracle, yeah. Yeah, it's the miracle to everything. Yeah, it's, and it's, uh that's that what I would do is I would I would, you know, add extra CBD to full spectrum. Well, Reverend Eddie Lepp, uh, we can still make that happen soon enough with your blessings because you have done so much to even get into the federal prison when you did is fucking mind-boggling. So here you are, sixth grade, bored with school, not really paying attention, started smoking weed because you were probably bored. What was the, who was the first person you smoked weed with? Do you know? Um, well... I don't remember exactly. It was who the, family, friend? It was friends. Uh, okay. Friends from school. And then when I was a little older, uh, I, I smoked with some other kids there in school. Uh, and then when I went in the Army, uh, when I, as soon as I hit basic training, uh, we started smoking on a regular basis. And you said basis. this was Vietnam? Yeah, this was before Vietnam. Okay. This was when I first went in the Army. You went on your own? You didn't get rec- Oh, no. I got, well, Okay. My lottery number was 13. Okay. So, it's a lucky number? Yeah, it is. It's actually my very luckiest nice. number. But uh, my brother got in some trouble with the law, and he was given a choice go to uh, boys' camp or enlist in the Army, him and four or five of his buddies. And my dad, we, we went down there and we had an opportunity to learn how to make eyeglasses. And my dad said, God, you boys go in, learn how to make eyeglasses. When you get out, I'll buy a lab and you start a business. And you can start making eyeglasses. And we both said, Oh fuck, this is wonderful, Dad. Shit. So we signed on the dotted fucking line. Okay, he was a military man already, so he was kinda of proud of his boys going yeah. to the army. Yes. He was for it. Right. Okay. And give so, you a little little so my prize brother, at the end. Right. So my brother actually went in about three weeks before I did. And he did his training, I believe, at Fort Hood, Texas, or something like that. And when I went in, I got sent to Fort uh, Hood, California, or Fort Ord, California. Tommy ended up in Denver, uh, Colorado, at uh, Fitzsimmons Army Hospital, which is where they taught you how to make eyeglasses. <laughs> and three weeks later, I got, I arrived. And by the time I got there, my brother had been shipped out, sent back to Fort Penning, Georgia, to learn how to jump out of parachutes. Oh, shit. And uh, what they never told us, what the recruiter never told us, was that you had to have four years of high school algebra to be able to make eyeglasses. Oh, fuck. And all I ever took was remedial math. Right. So, you know. they. You graduated high school, or did you? No, I quit high school at 14. Okay. Uh, Two weeks later, I had my high school diploma. Oh, get it. It's reading all them books. Well, yeah, I got my GED. Okay. Uh, I passed it, actually, with a... 97 i think 96 percent uh and never studied a thing and went to barber college and then like i say after barber college i went in the military the army okay uh went to vietnam so after so you thought you were gonna do eyeglasses then you didn't do four years of math they said sorry and then what bye here you go to asia um no actually uh they uh, sent my brother to fort hood uh, texas and taught him how to uh, shoot artillery and then he got sent to uh, uh, Fort Carson, Colorado. Uh, I got sent to Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri, where they taught me to be a supply clerk. 
And then I got reassigned to uh, the Sierra Army Depot in California, which is a a top secret seclusion base at the time. Okay. It was the home of the nuclear warheads. Oh shit. And uh, real, you know, it's I top had, secret. Yeah, I had a I had a top secret clearance to work there. You had okay. To. And then from there, I went to Vietnam, and then I got discharged, and I came home. What was what were you doing in Vietnam? You were just it was. Well, I don't discuss Vietnam. Okay. Okay. It's crazy. We were there. Yeah. And, you know, occasionally I will I will speak about Vietnam, uh, you know, some of the lighter, more interesting type things, you know. A little, hey, there's a lot of people smoking weed in Vietnam. Uh, you were either an alcoholic, a heroin addict, uh, or dead. Oh, no. Yeah. I mean, everybody got high. It's crazy. It was know. just hell over there. Well, I mean, all the movies I see, I'm sure they don't do justice, but it just nothing is ever. Well, nothing is out of war. Anyway, any type of war is crazy. Well, every night I pray, and part of my prayer is that I beg the Lord to let all of His children live their lives with a lot without allowing either greed nor grief to rule their lives, and then I ask that he allows them all to realize in the very depths of their heart and soul that anger, violence, murder, and war should never be inflicted on anyone or anything for any reason. Amen. It's I great. Pray, I pray that every night. Well, I hope that those prayers get answered because that that's... I got to go back and listen to what you just said and remember that because that was a great thing to recite okay. and remember. Thank you. So uh, you come back from Vietnam. I come back from Vietnam. Uh, I married a wonderful woman. Her name, uh, this will be interesting as we go through this story. Her name was Linda uh, Sue, RLS, and they'll become apparent why I mentioned that down the road. Uh, I spent 18 years with her. Uh, buried in the bottom of a booze bottle, uh, snorting everything that was powdered, popping everything that was pilled. This is you? Yeah. When you got it back from Vietnam? Yeah. Just lost? Uh, total garbage can, fucked everything that moved, gambled every fucking penny I had. Uh, big time party boy. And believe it or not, was actually very happy in my marriage for about 17 years. And then... I guess she got tired of the party boy. That's <laughs> a long time partying. Yeah, and she moved on. At that time, uh, my dad got ill and died, uh, sadly, at the age of 56. Sorry to hear that. And prior to his death, I had already started making arrangements to go into the National Center for PTSD for non-vets, which I did do. Uh, I went through and, and finished that program. And as I came out of that program, uh, I met and ultimately down the road ended up marrying uh, Linda Sentai, another LS, LS, which will become apparent why that's important as we get on with the story. Uh, anyway, I spent 18 wonderful years with Linda before she died in my arms. Jeez. She was without a doubt a living saint. I have a friend that I spoke to just last month 
that had carpal tunnel so bad in both wrists that she had to wear the braces to even go to sleep. Oh, my God. Linda did a healing ceremony on her 10 or 12 years ago before Linda died. I spoke to, to her the other day. She has never put those braces back on. She is still cured from what Linda did for her. She was one of the most loving, most caring, most concerned people I ever met. Because of her, we started doing all of the clinics. Uh, when the state of California said that they believed they had approximately 100,000 uh, official card-carrying marijuana patients in the state, Linda and I were personally responsible for somewhere between 30 and 35,000 of those what? recommendations. 30% of them. Over 30%. Out here. Yeah. We had, we had huge clinics at our farm for, for several years, about three, three and a half years. Uh, and we'd have two, three, four hundred, up to a thousand, twelve, fifteen hundred people come through in a three or four day period, depending on how many doctors came. To your? To our clinics. Okay. Yeah. We weren't supposed to call them clinics, but fuck them. That's what, yeah. that's what they were. <laughs> and uh, we did that. And then. Uh, Linda had a girlfriend that was really ill that lived in a little bitty travel trailer in a small mobile home park, and she couldn't grow her own medicine. And so I started growing medicine for her. We had bought the farm the year before, and uh, as she uh, got sicker, she needed more medicine, and so we started allowing her to grow it up on the farm. And then somebody found out I was doing it for her, and he came over and he said, Hey, Ed, well, at the end of the first year that I decided to do that, I had 10 or 12 people that couldn't grow where they lived. And so we decided to, to open up the, the place. And I had an opportunity to reunite the 40 acres that was the original home site. And so I went ahead and purchased the other 25 acres from the gentleman that I'd bought the house from. So I had the original 40-acre home site. Damn. And where's this at? In Lake County. Okay. Right on Highway 20. And we uh, we put in the, the fields and we, uh, you know, let people know that, hey, you know, we're, we're here to help. And uh, basically the, the way it worked out was that there were 27 or 2,800 people, somewhere between 27 and 2,800 people involved in the garden. And when I went to trial, the judge said if we introduced any of the agreements that she would arrest all of them and, what? and prosecute all of them for conspiracy. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Well, I had, I had promised all of them that if anything like that ever happened, that I would not turn them over. Right. I said, unless, confidential. It, unless it's a matter of life and death, okay. I will not betray you. Okay. And had, had I betrayed them, then we could have proven that divided by the number of people that we had, that the 32,524 plants worked out to about. Here, so I'm going to rewind a little bit. You said 32,000 plants. Well, no, actually what I said was 32,524. <laughs> okay, okay. 32,524, yes, that's, yeah. a, that's a big difference. Because when, so here you are, you, you're with uh, LS, you, you chilling, 
you got this farm, you bought the new farm. When did you start decide like, all right, I'm growing marijuana? When did you decide this was the well, thing I you're going to do? I bought the farm specifically just to grow it to grow marijuana. That and, was the only reason. Did you I have seeds? Did you have clones? How did you know you were going to get marijuana? What was? How did you get these seeds? Or cl did you do seeds? Did you? How did you start growing? Did you have any well, experience growing? Did you grow at all before the army? Okay, if if you if you ask that question of my ex-wife, her answer would be, "He's at a fucking lep, and he's got <laughs> balls that he needs a front loader to move him around." <laughs> uh, it's like that that uh, yeah, I, I South traveled. Park episode with that wheelbarrow, exactly holding his balls. Uh, no, I traveled all over the world. Uh, I bought a, a ton of genetics from Neville. The uh, creator of Neville yes, Hayes. Yes, Neville Hayes. I bought almost every strain he ever did. Uh, I, I've been gifted virtually every cannabis cup uh, entry in the first 20 years uh, of the cup in Amsterdam. All the Hayes, all the widows, Everything, all the. All of it. And I probably brought back another 30 or 40 strains from Europe that didn't even have a name because back then there were no they, names it there was just, weren't it was just you know hey this is something new that so I you're traveling around the world just meeting people randomly because this is there's no like instagram or facebook or connecting this is just exactly. real life interaction so you're just walking and you just you just walk into Aryan and neville you just meet soma like how does this work you just oh well, this guy has a long beard let me say hi to him well no uh, by the time i went to amsterdam the first time i had already won my trial and uh when I went to Amsterdam the first time. Uh, what was the trial that you won the first time? Uh, it was uh, my state trial for cultivation. Okay. Uh, over Linda Sentai uh, being ill with the cancer. Right, and then you had and, that. And this I is under won. two 15 days yeah. where you were illegally allowed to right. grow a certain amount of plants. Right, yeah. I was. And the, you, were you, a part, you were a part of that. You helped with that whole thing oh, with yeah. Dennis and yeah. Jack. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Dennis and, and Jack and I were tirelessly on that along with many other people. That yes. Was, that was definitely a group effort. But, uh, you know, we, uh, we planted and, and, and got the, the gardens going and got the fields up and, and got all these seeds from all around the world. And, you know, like I say, people, you know, once, once uh, my name got out there a little bit, then people started, you know, actually looking for me, if you will. Right. And we need to get our shit to Eddie Lepp. He needs to bring it to the West Coast. Well, exactly. I mean, I'd go to an event in Seattle and they'd want me to bring their stuff home to Cali to see how, you know. It grows, yeah. Yeah. One of my favorite stories is, is telling about how I, I got some seeds from Soma one year and I brought them home and I planted them outdoors. And when I went back to Amsterdam, this was before 9 11. And what I would do is I would roll a whole pack of cigarettes, one gram joints, right? and I would put them in a cigarette pack and I would put a pack of cigarettes in both coat pockets. And then when Linda Sentai and I would get up to where we had to go through security, right. she'd take my coat and she would go first and throw my coat on the, the belt and she would walk through. Well, as soon as she walked through, the person that's looking at the belt I would walk through the second I walk through all the alarms go off. Right. Because I got suspenders on. So they just they don't even You guys pay had attention. you guys had it down. And for years. Shout I out to Linda. Took them all, okay? So this Shout one, out to Linda cuz of we, Linda we got our strains. So we uh we go over to Soma's house. It's back when he was living up above the grocery store. 
And we go over there and, and I break out a couple of these joints and, and I get Soma just fucking wrecked. He's, he's fucking sideways. And we've got to leave. He has a contract with one of the coffee shops to furnish product. Okay. Okay. Well, in Amsterdam, as you know, they can only have so much in the shop at right. any one time. And they had called Soma earlier in the day and said, hey, at 6 o'clock, bring us X amount. Right. Yada, yada, right? I was in a coffee shop when it got raided by the police okay. in Amsterdam. Well, he uh, he remembers, right? At 6 o'clock, I got to okay. go. Yeah, said, we got to uh-huh. So we're out setting the, the stairways in Amsterdam are like straight up and down. It's almost like going up and down a ladder. Yes, right? they're really steep. And Soma's kind of bobbing and weaving, and we're sitting there, and he's sliding on his shoes. We're sitting on the, the top stoop. You know, and he's tur- putting on his shoes, and he turns to me and he says, "Eddie, what the fuck was that shit we just smoked?" I said, "Yours." <laughs> but it's still he, stuff did you grew? Yeah, it was okay. stuff I grew from his seed. But you got to understand, Soma and everybody in Amsterdam don't know what the fuck it looks like, right? Because all they can do is grow indoors. They've never seen any of their strains grown in 16, 18 hours a day of sun in Northern Cali. Fresh air. Well, plus where I live, uh, the 40 acres, originally a volcano exploded. Okay, so we tens of thousands of years ago, it's all volcanic, right? Then back in the early 1900s, they put a dairy farm on my property. Okay. Okay. So I had cows shitting and pissing all over my fucking property. For years. Up from the teens up through the early 40s. Oof. Fresh. Okay. And Layers. Yeah. And then when I came in, you know, that by now that's all been sitting there 15 or 20 years, but it's all in the soil. And when we came in, I brought in a, a DC-10 with four-foot rakes, and I had him go straight up and back straight across and back and then diagonally across and then we disc the whole thing with it with a 24 inch disc and prepared it but yeah that was some of the richest soil you've ever so seen so anything you put in there so you you built this relationship with all these growers all these genetics and you grow them on your farm 40 acres uh you're with the 215 crew so you're helping all these people that need weed uh, so what was it? It was how many plants per patient can you have? It was like six well, to ten? Or with, well, oh, there's two. there's actually no limit. That, that's one thing that's always been a, a real fucking pain for me. If you read to... Uh, well, let me tell you another little story. All right, okay? well, tell me, tell me. Okay. I have a, a beautiful friend, a wonderful friend. Uh, her name's Erica. And Erica has been with me from the beginning. She was be, She's been at every raid. She's been involved in my life intimately for many, many years. And she has three wonderful sons that I love like my own. And we we put it together, and Joe, her ex-husband, who sadly was murdered 10 or 12 years ago, uh, moved out with the boys and uh, was part of the farm and everything, you know. And the boys had been there two or three days, and, and Pierre at this time was eight years old. And he came out, and he sat down, and he saw my tray with all the marijuana and the rolling papers in it. And he said, I'd like to learn how to roll a joint. 
And I said, well, I would be glad to teach you because I honestly believe that you should expose children to these things and educate them. Right. You don't just tell them, no, you can't do that. You explain why. Right. So he said he wanted to. He said, I said, all right. But I said, you got to do something for me. And he said, what's that? Now, what you got to understand, the, the room was full of people. There's 30, my, my, my front room was 1,200 square feet. Oof, just throwing parties, let's go. Yeah, my, my front room was yes. 1,200 square feet. So we're full, right? Pierce says, what do you want me to do, Papa? And I said, you see that on the coffee table? It was this little green piece of paper. He said, yeah, what? I said, pick that up and read it and tell me what it says. Tell me what you interpret from it. What it was was a copy of 215. Prop 215. Mm-hmm. Right. Kid got done reading it. Now, this kid's from Iowa. He don't know shit about 215. Right. You know, he hadn't heard nothing. He don't know anything. Right. He reads this. I said, all right, Pierre. I says, what did you, what, what, what do you think, kid? He says, I don't know, Papa. He says, but I think it's saying that if you're sick or got a reason and a doctor says it's okay that you can grow and use marijuana. Is that right? And I said, son of a bitch, a fucking eight-year-old can fucking understand this and explain it to me, and these cocksuckers in charge with fucking years and years of college educations. I'm a lawyer. Now I'm your senator. You can't fucking figure it out. That's a goddamn eight-year-old, eight-year-old did. Wow. Politics. Politics well, for you. Well, you know, I, I knew we were fucked immediately when 215 passed. And you know how I knew? How? Because I got arrested. Right when it went to 215, 96. Right. And if you read 215, what should have happened was I should have pulled out my recommendation and said, see that officer? Get the fuck out of my face. But what happened was the officer knocked me on my ass put me in handcuffs, hauled me to fucking jail. No question. Charged me tens of thousands of dollars to get out of all this horse shit. And then I was told, Mr. Lepp, even though you did everything completely right and completely legal under 215, we've decided 215 is not a protection. It's a fucking defense. Wow. Okay? It's not a fucking defense. Right. It's a goddamn law. And if you read the son of a bitch, it don't say a goddamn thing about any of the shit they're talking about. It says if you've got a doctor's recommendation, you are exempt from prosecution. In the state. Period. Yes. Okay. I had a recommendation. I'm exempt from prosecution. Why was I forced to go to trial and prove my innocence? <sighs> Why? They had no answer? No. They were just, they now, how did, how did they know? How did they know? So here's Eddie Lepp and LS traveling, getting seeds, growing, getting, having land and growing for many patients. You care. You had a temple. You, you, uh, uh, Eddie Lepp's medicinal garden and Rastafarian temple. Is that right? I'm trying right. to do this off the top of my yeah. head. No notes. Yeah. No, uh, that's, that's pretty close. So uh, here you guys are. How do people know that you're growing weed? Is it true? This is what I, I learned because, you know, I know about the legend Eddie Lepp and I heard stories and all the myths and stuff that you had so many plants on your property that you could see the weed from the highway just driving down, driving down. You'd be like, oh, shit, look, you got a whole field. Is well, that true? Uh, well, actually, the, the, the 40 acres uh, ran north to south 
and the uh, field uh, ran the, the, east to west. Okay. Okay. And the the Highway 20 literally cut the field in half. Well, not exactly in half. There's like it 20, just went through it. Yeah, 23 acres on one side and the rest of the 40 acres on the other. And uh, 17. I you think. could you could smell it like. Uh, Three, like, three miles away. It just smells like when you drive up north to Cali and you go through that cow section, it just smells like shit. It's the same shit when you drive through your neighborhood. You're like, dude, it smells dank. Yeah, well, I know one thing that, that just tickled me to no end when I got out of prison. I had to go up north. And my God, <laughs> it's garden after garden after garden after garden. And you can see them all from the roads. Right. And, you know, again, I hate to sound egotistical. But I look out there and I get a tear in my eye because I know them sons of bitches are being able to do that because of what I did. Paved the way. And, you know, uh, I was told the whole time I was in prison by every guard I ever had, by every warden I ever talked to, all of them, Eddie, you were just 20 years too soon. You're just ahead of your time. Dude, I'm sitting in federal prison in, in Colorado with the fucking Boston Barmer. Fucking Krasinski. People that are killing folks. All these motherfuckers. People that actually have victims. Right. And all here these... you are healing people, helping them out, right. saving lives. Right. And check this out. I'm in a support camp. They're in the, the you know, high, Isol uh, yeah. high, high, high security. security max and all this shit. Right. Less than 300 yards from the front door where I live, there's a road. The fence for the property is there, right? There is a motherfucker neighbor right next to the prison that grows an entire backyard full of pot, 10 and 12, 15 footers. You can see them from the prison. No You're one... within 10 feet of them. And the nothing. Guy, nothing. And, and this it, is recently. This was the last three years I was in prison. They, they grew all every year. That must be super frustrating. It must be like bittersweet for you. It's so frustrating because you spent federal time. Not a lot of people... Like understand the the history of cannabis, but people people are still going to jail for it. But you spent federal time for something that everyone is doing. And when you when you were doing this, like now people take like twenty, thirty thousand plants. Okay, it's fine. Or like a hundred lights, a thousand lights. Like now facilities are crazy. But you were doing this before anyone. The largest the largest grow that wasn't cartel related prior to my gardens. Well, they, they usually average no more than a hundred. Yeah. 100 plants, 150 thousands, plants. Like 20,000 plants is a lot of work, Eddie. Like, look, well, I, I appreciate all the growers out there. Like, I have no time. I have no patience <laughs> to grow weed. So I appreciate everyone. If it's one plant or 100 plants or 1,000 lights, like, I appreciate them and all the time it takes. So uh, I want to – I thank you for, for doing it and probably – teaching many many people how to grow i'm sure you had a whole crew of people especially with thirty thousand plants well it's you know been one of the great rewards of my life is is being able to help others and and being able to teach them and then of course you know you you sadly you know realize that uh, on occasion that you know the people you loved and thought you could trust and care about ended up you know fucking you to tears which you know, has happened on several occasions. It is. So uh, it's, it's just crazy. It's, it's fucking humbling to have you next to me. And I appreciate you spending your time uh, with this. And, you know, you went to jail. What was the date that you that you went and started your you had? So uh, I went to trial 
in December of 08. Okay. And actually turned myself in to the Lompoc Federal Prison July 6th. 2009. Of 2009. Yes. And was actually released from prison December 6th of 16 and then was released from BOP custody because even though you're in a halfway house, you're still belong right. to the Bureau of Prisons. I actually left their custody June 7th, uh, 17. 2017, free man. No. Not yet. No, I have five years on federal okay. probation. I'll have two years in the first of next month, and I'm going to ask for uh, uh, that it be terminated. Uh, you know, the, you've got the bar ruling, which says they can't use federal money to go after compliant people in states. So it's kind of right. seems silly that they're going to waste money, you know, keeping me on probation. Right. So we'll, we'll hopefully we'll let be, them live. Well, hope, Get off Eddie's ass. Hopefully we'll be able to. And uh, that's what we're trying for. Uh, my son, who uh, is with the California Seed Bank, is uh, going to be introducing uh, a lot of the strains that... Uh, I have. We've we've got almost a hundred strains. That, Hell yeah! That Keeping have, it alive. Well, they've never been released. So you are okay. So I'm just gonna uh, just get to like some meat and potatoes right now, real quick. We're gonna. So uh, they you get raided. You do the federal time. They say they want to give you like four life sentences plus all these extra years of shit for growing a plant. Like people, some people say no victim, no crime. Like you didn't really hurt anyone. Why you? sacrificing your time for them. But I know the prisons are private systems. They want nonviolent criminals in there so they can get their money and you guys are easy to work with instead of dealing with yeah. like crazy criminals. So I, I get how the whole political system works. It's trash. But before you go into prison, 2009, um, you know, there's a lot of dispensaries. Weed is uh, pretty active. There's a lot of people growing weed now. Um, you are part of a lot of amazing strains like the OZ. You also... Uh, are part of uh, Eddie Lep OG, of course. Oh, yeah. Uh, you've crossed many strains. So going into federal prison, what was the scene like? Was there dabbing? Was pe Were people hitting concentrates? Oh, no. No, 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 no. There, it was just turkey by, bags? By, yeah, by the time I went into to prison, there were strains. You know, they, they, they had names now. Start, started but, getting them. But there was no The isolates. Blue Dreams and yeah. the White Widows and uh, the Hazes and the OGs and the Cushes and the Bubbas. Yeah, the big thing was I... Uh, I worked with Mila and her son. Okay, Hash, and, Queen of Hash. Right, and I brought the very first set of 50-gallon... Bubble bags? Bubble bags what? to the United States. Yes, if you read, if you look at the uh, Canna Bible 2 that Jason King did, the first eight pages is uh, a forward all about me. Nice. And there's a big picture in there of me with a 50-gallon... bags. Uh, ...rubber-made food-grade garbage can... Mixing it the old-fashioned way with the bam heavy do it. Bamboo, Time. bamboo sticks. With That's love and passion. Exactly. I did it on his farm, so, on those bags. Well, Andrew out here is reminiscing all the times. I had to jump in. <laughs> so um, you go in. It's, it's just still old-school, traditional tech. No one really has the science behind it. We just kind of are educated now because there's a lot more people that are growing freely. Mm -hmm. um, they feel protected, even though it's not a protection. It's a defense, which is bullshit. It's the law. It should just be what it says. So now you get out of prison. It's 2017. Now let's fast forward to just today. Uh, I got to spend time with you a little bit. You got to come to uh, one of the events I'm a part of. Mm -hmm. I do these uh, traditional market events, been doing them for a little bit. Um, 
you walk in and you just see a bunch of brands, a bunch of people with flavors and different types of ways to consume it and edibles. What what is going through your mind at this moment? Pride. 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 Uh, I like that. Many many years ago. I held a woman in my arms as she died. And I made her a promise. And then I went to prison. And I made a phone call one day. I spoke to a man. And I made him a promise right before he died. Then I came home from prison. And a man that I love very much who had promised me a year before I got out of prison he would do everything he could to stay alive until I got home. I went up to the VA hospital and I held him in my arms. And I made him a promise. He died the next day. Oh. The woman I made that promise to was Linda Sentai. The first man was Jack Herrera. The second man was Dennis Perron. And I promise to you motherfuckers, the same fucking thing I promised every one of them. I ain't fucking stopping until the promise I made comes true and that's full legalization without the bullshit. Without the fucking us like we're a cash goddamn cow. We are an industry just like anybody else and we deserve and have earned the respect that goes with that. And I by God I'm gonna see that we fucking get it. And I'm asking all of you, get off of your asses just fucking once. Stand up with me when we reintroduce the Jack Herrera initiative for the 2020 elections. Help me pass this goddamn thing and let's do away with all of the graph, all the bullshit, all the overpricing. And I will show you how we can have safe, affordable cannabis just like we have safe, affordable beer. It's not that hard. We are not a cash cow. We're an industry. It's time to treat us like one. What? That was, thank you. That was out here spending messages. And that sucks to hear about uh, Linda and Jack while you were in jail that they had to pass. And, oh. uh, and the, what you were talking about pride is great because if it wasn't for people like you, uh, we wouldn't be out here keeping pushing on the mission to make it happen. And, and I just appreciate you. Well, for, I, I truly appreciate that uh, more than you know, Adam. I mean, you know, I've said many times, I, I am so thankful and, and so humbled by the many blessings that have come to me. But all this really is is a love story. I fell in love with a beautiful woman. And I watched her die in front of my eyes. The day I found out she was gonna die, the doctor told me she had four, maybe six months. Three years later, I went and saw him after her funeral. He put his arms around me and he told me, he said, Eddie, I don't know if it was the peyote ceremonies. I don't know if it was the sun dance. 
I don't know if it was a THC you shoved up her ass and down her throat. I don't know what the <laughs> fuck it was. I don't know why she got that extra two and a half years, Eddie. But I can tell you one thing. It wasn't me. The All I did for her was stop the pain the last week. It wasn't the Western medicine. No. That natural. No. It was Linda's determination to live every second that she could live, coupled with the fact that we did the peyote ceremonies. We did the mushroom ceremonies. We did the tea ceremonies. We did the sun dances. We did shove it up her ass and down her throat and anoint her with it day in and day yeah. out. Yeah. And to saturate the body with know, it. I don't know, you know, how you people out there feel about other people. You know, you could all possibly not give a fuck about anything. But if you've ever loved anybody, your child, your husband, your wife, your mother, your father, a grandma, a grandfather, an aunt, an uncle, if you've ever loved anything at all, you have to understand how precious and how important that two and a half years with Linda was for me. Because when I found that out about my dad, he was gone in two or three weeks. When he had, when he found out he had cancer. When he had cancer, okay. which was 15 years before Linda. Linda. And we didn't know about the THC. Yeah. We didn't know any of this. And I watched my dad die in three weeks. Oof. I'm sorry. I watched my wife die in three years. But God damn it, it was three years right. and not three weeks. Right, you got some extra time. Hey, like I say, if you ever loved anybody, you know how precious even one second with them is. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's just crazy how people's minds change from uh, five, ten, like even three years ago, how uh, uh, cannabis was so negative and it had so much bad stigma but the more research we have and the more people are aware of it now i have family members that used to yell at me as a kid getting high asking me for weed or asking me for rso like hey do you have any cbd like now they're interested in it and when i was preaching and the only reason why i was preaching is because i got to have some time with jack Hare, personal time and jack Hare uh, educated me a lot about the hemp plant and the benefits of oh, cannabis yeah, jack, jack, he, jack would educate would, anybody just, like, would just shove it and then he would like always tell me the, the, uh, about mushrooms and how i should always be eating them and oh yeah should well, always that that's one of the things with jack uh after jack had his his stroke uh in 2000 uh i started buying mushrooms for jack uh, and fed Jack mushrooms every day till I went to prison. Uh, we used the Anamita uh, mascara and the Anamita Pazzarina and uh, psilocybin. And it was micro doses. It was, was you know, never enough to Get fucked rock up. his world. Just add a little sparkle to the life. Well, no, what it did actually, at least this is what Jack and I believe, we believe that it actually helped remarry the nerve endings okay. that in the beginning when Jack first had that stroke, he could only talk about two minutes and then he would lose track and get frustrated and he'd start going like this, hitting his hand into his other hand, trying to force himself to remember. I worked with him and we worked with the mushrooms and we practiced because Jack and I were on stage together for 10 years and we had it down to a fine art. At the end, Jack could talk between seven and ten minutes before he'd start going like this. Right. And, Progression. And both of us believe it was because the mushrooms helped to incur the healing. So. Man, before any of this uh, 
social media or Google, you were out here doing your own, doing your own research and your own knowledge. And I just want to know, um, what is Eddie Lep up to now? I know we're almost out of time, and I, I know we could talk for another five hours, and I'm sure I'll have you back on again. But I just want to know, like, well, what's Eddie Lep up to now, and, well, and what do you want people to know? Well, right now, what I'm up to is is absolutely nothing. Uh, as I said, I'm still on federal probation, okay. and uh, I'm not involved in anything. However, that said, uh, my son, who owns a, a seed company, the California Seed Bank. Big genetics. He will be introducing some of the almost 100 strains that we have that have never been introduced. Uh, another one of my... Like what? Like what strains? What are these exclusive strains? Because I know you're a part of like some beginning Hello. strains. How's it going? Sorry, there he is. Hey. There he is. So what are some of the... Because I know a lot of people know you from the OZ. And you had the, sk the Skittles before it went to all these other seed companies. You had some of these other amazing strains that are popularized. I know you were talking about the cookies and gelatos and the cherry pies and all that. Yeah. The, the, Great bait. Yeah, almost all of the genetics uh, in California now. I mean, from what I understand, I'm not positive, but from what I've been told, 80 or 90% of this stuff came from my farm originally. 80% of the genetics in California right now came from... The farm. Yeah. What? Yeah. Thank you. Much. Yeah. Thank you. And it's all provable. Thank you. You know, so. <laughs> Out here. So what do you guys have now? What are these these new strains? You guys got exclusive crosses you're releasing? What's going well, on? Well, we've got. I think uh, I'll let Dad go with that one. We've got uh, the OG Eddie Lap, uh, which is, uh, you know, the mainstay, which is, you know, the, the cup winner and everything. Uh, that we've crossed with uh, quite a few different things that uh, we'll be bringing out. And, uh, you know, like I say, I, I don't really know. My son does o most of OG, it. OG Eddie Lepp is coming back. Bringing it back. Are <laughs> yeah. you crossing it with other things? Because I looked at the at a menu today, and you had like 15 pages of just different crosses. Right. Like, all right, we took this, we took the Sunday driver and we just busted nuts all over these flowers. Yeah, and that was, and that was Canarado stuff. And we have, uh, you know, pretty, pretty extensive menu. Okay. Uh, California but, seed bank. So get ready for some new genetics and new strain alert, new strains to hit the shelves. The OG Eddie Lepp. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We're, we're bringing out the true strains. So I used to always say free Eddie Lepp. It's good to see you not behind uh, on federal grounds anymore and not to enjoy free life. Eddie Do you still have Eddie Lepp? Is Eddie Lepp.com a thing still? Are you uh, still? They can, they can get a hold of me on Facebook. Okay. Eddie Lepp on e -double Facebook. E-double-D-Y-L-E-double-P. That's it. Okay. And uh, that's the easiest way to get a hold of me is Facebook or, you know. Eddie Lepp. See him at, because I've been getting, it's great OG to see you Eddie at events Lepp now. Genetics. I saw you at High Times in the VIP section. I saw you uh, out at some of these other events. You were at Hall of Flowers for a little bit? Uh, yeah, I've tried to, you know, like I say, I've got to be real careful and stay in the CBD sections. and CBD! You know, be real careful that way. But, yeah, no, I'm, I'm enjoying being able to get back into it a little bit. And I, I would like to give a shout-out to uh, the best uh, cannabis band in the world, Mendo Dope. I love those boys. Okay. Their new uh, album, Live in the Garden 3, is out, and they got a song called 707. Say it backwards. Say it backwards, 707. That okay. It just describes the life of a Northern California pot farmer, and I've been blessed. I occasionally get to go on stage and, and sing background uh, hey, Eddie you know, with them. And a little shout-out to, to Patrick King, and, and, of course, a big shout-out to my partner in business. Uh, Soil King. Associate uh, Grokashi. 
uh, which is another one of my companies. Okay. So, uh, you know, and uh, I'd like to thank everybody that supported me over the years that I was away. The letters, the, the money on my books, the books, the magazines. Uh, I will be humbled if I live to be 10,000 years old. I will be humbled over the way you people have treated me. I cannot thank you enough. I thank you. My family thanks you. And I thank you again. Love, respect. Well, and I thank you for coming and spending your time. We appreciate you. Uh, the podcast with Eddie Lab, Living Legend. I'm glad to be here next to you. Uh, thank you all for listening. Uh, wherever you're at, you already know. Share it with your friends. We're on uh, Purple Haze Dash Radio, the OG podcast. OG Eddie Lab Genetics. Hey. Get ready. Pay attention. Uh, appreciate y'all. Yeah. I'm going to go get higher. Bye. Bye.